This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 17, Cut the Baby in Half. Last time, we finished up our series of episodes covering details of Krishna's life that were not in the Mahabharata. There's a supplement to the Mahabharata, a sort of appendix, called the Harivamsa, which also provides details of Krishna's biography. But I've been unable to find any translation of this book, either in print or online. It strikes me as strange that such an important religious text should be unavailable in English, but since I could not find it, I used the more commonly used text to get Krishna's biography, which was the Bhagavata Purana. Preparing for this podcast was the first time I ever read in depth about Krishna's life. Although I'm not Hindu and I grew up in California, I was very much aware of the Krishna Leela and the general story of his life. I already knew the famous stories about his childhood, such as Krishna stealing the butter and Krishna and the gopis. I've also been familiar with the common imagery of Krishna and Radha. The other thing I was familiar with was Krishna's role in the Mahabharata, and of course I have read several translations of the Bhagavad Gita. Taken as a whole, my impression of Krishna was very positive, and I always considered him my favorite of the world's religious founders. Thus, actually reading the Bhagavata Purana was a bit of a letdown for me. The character of Krishna in the Bhagavata Purana is more like a god-king whose divinity and goodness is unquestioned. The stories are mostly about Krishna defeating his enemies and satisfying his own desires. I was surprised that there were no cases of him specifically helping the poor, healing the sick, or providing comfort in his teaching. The only sick person he healed was a prostitute whom he had sex with after making her beautiful. In terms of charity, Krishna only gave riches to those who gave him things. An example of that is when he was a child, a fruit seller came by, and Krishna took some fruit and paid with only some grains of rice. The merchant accepted that from the child, and when she turned around, her load of fruit had been transformed into gems. I also shared King Parikshit's discomfort with the way Krishna cuckolded and dishonored the men of his village by having orgies with their wives and daughters. Not only was it a flagrant infraction of dharma, it was a betrayal of trust with the people who had protected him and raised him from a baby. Of course, I understand the symbolic meaning of the gopis' love for Krishna and how we should all share that consuming love for the divine. But it set a dangerous example for future religious leaders, and I certainly have my doubts whether I'd want the next avatar of Vishnu growing up in my neighborhood. I mentioned before how the Bhagavata Purana is very different from the Mahapadata in terms of style. I should take that even further and say that the Krishna of the Bhagavata Purana is also markedly different from the Mahabharata in terms of his character. The character of Krishna in the Mahabharata is much more compassionate and his role as a teacher is much more pronounced. I find his relationship with Draupadi to be very touching. He helps her when she is in need and he comforts and advises her. The Krishna of the Bhagavata Purana would more likely have teased her and had sex with her. Furthermore, as we will see in future episodes, Krishna's political machinations were much more subtle in the Mahabharata. There is an implication that the great war at Kurukshetra was entirely at the devising of Krishna, that he subtly manipulated each character to ensure that the war occurred, and he made sure that it had the desired outcome. Based on how he behaved in the Bhagavata Purana, I would have expected him to take on all his enemies single-handedly and slaughtered them all, with the Pandavas hiding behind him. I hope I'm not offending anyone's religious beliefs by stating my opinion here. I've studied all the major religious traditions, and I can honestly say that they all have parts that many of us are not completely comfortable with. I still greatly admire the Krishna and the Mahabharata, 
and I find the Gita to be by far the most meaningful religious text of any of the world's traditions. There are lots of room for comments on my website, so if you have a different opinion, even if you totally disagree with me, I'd love to hear it. Now let's get on with the story. It seems like a long time since we left our heroes, enjoying their new wife Draupadi and living in her father's kingdom of Panchala. Krishna had been there for Draupadi's Swayamvara, and the cousins apparently met each other for the first time there, forming yet another powerful alliance. Following the wedding, news quickly spread among all the kingdoms that the Pandavas had somehow survived the house fire and that Arjun had strung the great bow and had won the princess of Panchala. They also heard how Bhima had body-slammed Salya, the king of Madra, and had uprooted a tree to fight off the other kings and princes at the Swayamvara. It was as if the Pandavas had been reborn, and the various kings cursed Bhishma and Dhritarashtra for complicity in the house fire. Duryodhana, his brother Dushasan, and his uncle Shakuni returned from the Swayamvara in low spirits. They had discovered that their plot to assassinate the Pandavas had not only failed, but that their cousins had come out of it with strong allies and an influential wife. Back at the court of Hastinapur, the Prime Minister Vidur was the first to hear the news of the Pandavas' success. He went to the king in high spirits and announced that the Kurus had done well at the Swayamvara and had made an alliance with King Drupada. King Jitarastra misunderstood Vidur and was delighted. He had thought that Duryodhana was the Kuru who had married Draupadi. The king even ordered gifts for his new daughter-in-law and requested his son Duryodhana to bring his new wife to the court. Vidur then had to step in and make it clear that it was the Pandavas who had married Draupadi, and not Duryodhana. The king masked his disappointment and kept up appearances, saying it was no difference whether the honor went to his son or to his nephews, that he was still quite happy with the results. When Vidur was not around, however, the king took on a different outlook. Duryodhana and Karna questioned him, asking him how he could be so happy for the success of their enemies. They advised him that instead he should work with them to find a way to undermine their rivals before it was too late. King Dhritarashtra admitted that he agreed with them, but did not want Vidur to know his true feelings. The three of them then set to work dreaming up ways to affect the downfall of the Pandavas. Duryodhana started with a series of ideas how they might weaken or destroy the Pandavas. One idea was to hire Brahmin infiltrators to sow dissension between the twins, who were sons of Madri, and their three elder brothers, who were all sons of Kunti. Another idea was to attempt to bribe their father-in-law, King Drupada, to switch his alliance over to the Kauravas. Perhaps they could convince their cousins that they would rather stay in exile and not try returning to Hastinapur. Or maybe they could stir up jealousy among the five husbands over their corporate wife. Duryodhana also suggested that they work out a way to ambush Bhima when he was alone. Without mighty Bhima, Arjun could easily be matched by Karna, and the Karavas would no longer have to fear them. He also proposed that they send prostitutes to the five brothers so that Draupadi would return to her father and break the alliance. Karna's reply was to openly wonder whether Duryodhana had lost his mind. He scoffed at all of his friends' suggestions pointing out that if they had failed to undermine the Pandavas when they were young and weak, that they would have even less chance of success now. He said Drupada and his sons were all men of honor and would never desert their allies, nor would Draupadi turn her back on them after having chosen them at her Swayamvara. Karna's suggestion was to make war, and to do it soon. He urged the king and prince to attack Panchala now when they were least expecting it, and before they had time to call on their forces and Krishna could come to their aid.
Dhritarashtra praised Karna, saying that speech on war might is worthy of you, a sagacious and weapon-wise son of a charioteer. But let Bhishma, Drona, Vidur, and you two once more plot the course that should bring us advantage. Thus, the king indecisively swung from encouraging his bad son and trying to do the right thing by consulting his advisors. The result was predictable. Bhishma, of course, was strongly opposed to the idea of waging war with his grandnephews. On the contrary, he advised Dhritarashtra to make them first in line for succession, and if not that, then they should be given half the kingdom as their patrimony. In addition, Bhishma scolded Duryodhana and reminded him to look after his reputation, to be glad that his cousins had survived, because the people all blamed him for the house fire and would have never forgiven him if his cousins had died there. Drona and Vidor both endorsed Bhishma's suggestions and specifically urged the king to send messengers to Panchala and request the return of the Pandavas to Hastinapur. Karna was astonished by what he saw as disloyalty in the king's ministers. He asked the king how it was possible that these men could accept the hospitality and largesse of the king and yet give him advice that was contrary to the king's interest. Vidor's rebuttal was blunt and to the point. Bhishma and Drona were loyal, old, and wise. They certainly spoke in the king's and the kingdom's interest. Furthermore, Duryodhana, Karna, and Shakuni are lawless and witless fools. Hastinapur and its people were surely perished through Duryodhana's fault. Having heard out the advice of his court, King Dhritarashtra decided to side with his advisors over his son. He mendaciously expressed his delight in the success of his nephews, and then ordered Vidur to go to King Drupad's court present gifts and treasure, and to request the return of his nephews and their new wife. Vidur went to Panchala, to the court of King Drupada, and requested the return of the Pandavas. Krishna and Balram were still visiting, and so, with Krishna's and King Drupada's blessing, Yudhishthira agreed to return with his brothers and pay obeisance to their uncle. The brothers were warmly welcomed to Hastinapur, and were allowed to stay in the king's own palace. When they were summoned before the king in his court, the king announced his decision for the Pandavas. The kingdom of Hastinapur would be divided, and Yudhishthira would be made king of the lesser half of the kingdom, called the Kandava tract. And so, just like that, the fateful decision was made to cut the baby in half. Without any further ado, the Pandavas set out to claim their new kingdom. Accompanied by Krishna and Vyasa, they consecrated the land and founded a new city called Indraprastha. It is very interesting how the Mahabharata dwelled in great detail on the various debates held between Duryodhana, Karna, and the king, and then gave us Bhishma's rebuttal, Drona's opinions, Karna's response, and then Vidur's advice. We'll encounter many more such episodes in the future, shedding much light on how King Dhritarashtra tried to balance the demands of his sons and the advice of his counselors. What I find particularly interesting is that the lengthy debate was over the question of waging war with the Pandavas. But then Dhritarashtra's fateful decision to divide the kingdom was done without any apparent deliberation. While it is not specifically stated, I think a major theme in the Mahabharata is a study in King Dhritarashtra's decision-making style. We'll see a lot more of how the king tried to somehow reconcile his son's demands with what he knew to be the path of virtue. He never succeeds, of course. The Pandava's new capital was magnificent, with moats as wide as the sea and walls that reached up to heaven. The city was laid out in an auspicious design and well endowed with palaces and guest houses. Its suburbs were ringed with fine orchards and pleasure gardens. Because the Pandavas were more well-loved than their cousins, 
a large portion of the populace accompanied them, including the most virtuous Brahmins, the wisest scholars, the wealthiest merchants, and the most skilled artisans. Krishna and Balram also stayed with the Pandavas for some time, helping them to settle this frontier territory. On a map, Yudhishthira's part of the kingdom, called the Kandava Tract, would be the southwestern portion of Hastinapur, with its capital, Indraprastha, located near modern-day Delhi. When I was a college student, I had the great pleasure of living in Delhi for nearly a year. While there, I took the opportunity to visit many historic sites in and around the city. One very prominent site is a castle called the Puranakila, or Old Fort. This fantastic red sandstone structure was built during the Islamic Delhi Sultanate, but within its walls is an interesting archaeological dig. What you can see is the mud-brick layout of an ancient village or town. Since it dates back to the Bronze Age, it is sometimes called Indraprastha. If this really was the city of the Pandavas, then it is nothing like the grand municipality described in the Mahabharata. In reality, no one really knows where the historic city was located. Even the modern city of Delhi has been relocated half a dozen times in the last millennium, and the Yamuna River frequently changes its course. On the other hand, the region around Delhi would certainly be a likely candidate for the Pandavas capital. This location has been favored strategically for thousands of years because there is a small chain of hills that provide the defensive high ground in the middle of the enormous North Indian plain. There has been a movement afoot to rename Delhi and call it Indraprastha instead. I think that would be a travesty, but I do think the idea of an Indraprastha amusement park with thrill rides based on Hindu mythology would be awesome. That's it for now. Next episode, we'll follow Arjuna's adventures across India, plus the Great Fire in the Kandava Forest. Thanks for listening.